Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Special episode this week as we're joined by Canadian Rebecca Marino. We will also discuss Bianca Andrescu, her return to action on the clay and an injury withdrawal from Strasbourg. But uh, first, Mike, just starting on the fact that uh, we do have Rebecca Marino, and you know it's been comeback 2.0 for her on the circuit in 2021 and so impressive if we look at what she did at the front end of the season yeah it's almost like deja vu because i feel like we had this conversation when she made her first return to tennis after taking a lengthy time off uh, to take care of her own mental health and well-being and came back and hit the ground running that time with some itf titles and 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 i mean immediately her first event back was a successful one um, and then this time around, the, the reasons for leaving the tour were obviously different, dealing with a physical injury this time, uh, foot, uh, ankle area, and, and that took quite a long time for her to be able to return to the game as well. And, uh, and she's done a similar feat, which has come back and had some very impressive results. We talked at length with her and about her at the Australian Open to start the year. And uh, so it was nice that you were able to reconnect with her as we're almost nearing the halfway point of 2021, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, and she's still having uh, success as the year progresses, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we talked about obviously the clay surface maybe not being her favorite and not the best and most suitable to her game style, but we discussed that and more and obviously Wimbledon right around the corner and kind of her plans for her future career. So uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Canadian tennis player Rebecca Marino. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And our guest this week, she's been ranked as high as number 38 in the WTA rankings. She's been a two-time female player of the year for Tennis Canada. And she's made not one, but two successful comebacks to the tour after lengthy hiatuses uh, with great success. And we're so happy to see her again playing this season. Uh, Rebecca Marino, thanks so much uh, for joining us this week on Matchpoint Canada. Yeah, of course. It's so great to be on. Yeah, we uh, we love chatting with you. Um, I, I think 2021 is is the place to start because uh, you started off the season uh, so well, obviously qualifying for the Australian Open, getting into a, a Grand Slam draw, which you, you hadn't been in, obviously, in, in a very long time. And, and now it feels like you're sort of back to the regular touring life. Um, just how has sort of the grind of the season been going? Um, does it does it feel familiar again, I suppose? Yeah, well, this season has been um, a little different than the past because um, just given the whole situation in Canada still with uh, the coronavirus and in quarantine, um, I'm having to do much longer trips than I I traditionally would. So um, I've already been over in Europe for, I believe, seven weeks. And the goal is to stay over until potentially Wimbledon if I can get myself in that position. Um, So that would turn into about a three month stint on the on the road and I think that's the longest trip I've ever I've ever done so um that's new in itself but in terms of revisiting some of these tournaments and competing in Billie Jean King Cup and like I'm coming back to all these sort of familiar favorites so I'm I'm quite comfortable with uh the places I'm heading and you know seeing all these girls that I compete with um on a daily basis so yeah there's familiarity and newness to it at the same time 
Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask actually just about about comfort level because I, I think any time a player makes a, a comeback after time off, whether it's injury, stepping away from a sport, there's probably always sort of doubts in your mind of how's it going to go? Am I capable of this? And I, I thought to myself, maybe it's easier for you the second time around having gone through it already. Do you, do you feel that way as well? Um, I'd say this is still, <laughs> I mean... I won't lie. It's been a bit of a, a struggle being on, on tour for um, this clay season um, mm-hmm. away from home as well. Right. Uh, just because clay is not traditionally my best surface. So my results have been a little bit lacking compared to the banging start that I had in January. Um, so it's kind of uh, been a bit of a, a ego check in that sense, but it's, it's good for me as well in that I have to put a lot of the work in right now. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that it's like easier the second time around. There's always challenges no matter what you go through. And this has had its own unique and different experiences too. Yeah, certainly. Um, we, we saw you playing some awesome tennis, though, as you mentioned, on the hard courts, not just the Australian Open, but uh, I wanted to get to that Billie Jean King Cup experience, um, not just from a competitive standpoint. Obviously, the, the whole team played great. You had a big time singles win, but also just as a, a bonding experience, how great was it to be back in that team environment and sort of rallying behind one another um, for obviously in, in competing for your country? Yeah, it was just overall just an amazing experience. I felt like our team really clicked this time. So having Layla with uh, playing the one position and then myself and then having Carol there and Sharon there, um, we just all meshed really well. And Heidi sort of took charge of the team. Um, so I knew from the beginning we'd, we'd have a really good sort of energy about us and that if we could bring our best tennis to the courts, we had a really good shot of, of taking down Serbia, which is what happened in the end, which was great. And then... Yeah, to have Layla fight through those matches and, and pull it off in the end. And then for me to sort of <laughs> pull off a surprise win as well, I feel like, yeah, it was just an amazing experience and to have it uh, and to, to join the other girls and a shared feeling and admiration of each other's games and pride for Canada it was just, yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible. Yeah, it was uh, it was incredible to see as well. And as you mentioned, the clay courts being maybe more difficult for your game style, I think just in generally more difficult for a lot of North American players. Uh, we recently saw you competing at the, the Parma Challenger in Italy. You did win a qualifying match before losing. Um, and before we started recording, you mentioned you are going to be playing qualifying for Roland Garros. Um, how much are you relishing that opportunity? And I guess given that clay isn't your most comfortable surface, what's sort of your attitude going into that opportunity? Yeah, well, I'm trying to keep a positive attitude through this. And um, just because it's not my best surface doesn't mean I can't do well on it in the past. I mean, I'm, I'm aware that I made the third round of the French Open in, you know, career 1.0. So I have that under my belt. And I know that you know, the courts in Paris and the courts here in Parma, they play a little bit faster and I'm a lot more comfortable with that. Um, so I can play on clay and I'm, I'm kind of getting my feet under me and, you know, I'm going to go in and just try my best and have a positive attitude and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I can't be too down on myself because I know I have the, the ability and the level to play the, the tennis I want to, um, as, as we saw at Billie Jean King Cup and in Australia. So I know I have that in my back pocket and I just have to relax and see what, what happens. 
I, I was recently just uh, looking through some WTA stats, actually. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, currently uh, from WTA matches in 2021, uh, you rank fourth on the tour this season with 62.5% of points won on serve. Um, I'm not sure if you knew that stat, but that that's obviously, I think, a, a good testament to maybe um, not not just your game, st- game style, but quality of game. Um, do you feel like you are one of those dominant players when you really have the serve going? And, and did you feel that way sort of early in the season when you were chalking up wins? Yeah, well, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that stat. I try not to look it up too much because I just try and keep in my bubble and focus on my game. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a cool one. That's uh, I'm going to sort of give myself a pat on the back. But, yeah. Uh, you know, it's something I'm, I am kind of aware of as my game style is like big serve and follow it up with a one, two punch of my ground stroke. So yeah, if I can get my first serve percentage up a little bit higher, I feel like, um, I should be pretty dominant on my serve and yeah, to be up in the top four, you said of, of that stat is that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. So hopefully I can, I can continue with uh, that stat and maybe improve from there. I, I spoke with Carol Zhao just the the other week, actually, for this podcast. And, um, you know, she's making a comeback as well, playing great on the ITF circuit. And I asked her if, um, you know, as, as you're making a comeback, obviously, the ranking is not going to be where you like. And for you as well, you're sort of kind of going step by step. Does does the ranking itself give you stress? Do you, do you look at it sort of like markers of like, OK, let's get back in the top 200 and I want to be top 150 by this stage or or is it not something that you're really conscious of at this time? Um, let me think. Well, sometimes I am a little bit conscious of wanting to be at a certain ranking by a certain point. Um, right now, it's it's hard because there's a lot of strong tournaments and there's not very many tournaments. So I have to be a little bit more patient with myself in terms of climbing back up the rankings. Um, the good thing is when you are coming back from a hiatus of sorts or, or an injury, you don't have that many points to defend. So it's a lot more fun to climb up the rankings. Um, and you have to remember that even if you are depending point, defending points, those points are already gone. You know, it's like a full year ago, so shouldn't feel much pressure. And like when you start counting points and trying to figure out where you're going to be ranked, it's like, it's a really dangerous game and you can get like way too stressed about like going out on the court and knowing you need to win this match in order to be certain ranking. Like, I just feel like it's too slippery a slope for me and I could become almost obsessive. So I try to be very relaxed on the opposite end of the spectrum and, and not focus too much on points and defending and climbing too much more just what is the quality of my game and what is uh, like the match that I have at hand today? Like, how am I going to win today <laughs> and not think about a week or two in advance? Yeah, that's uh, that makes sense. Um, you talked about obviously, um, clay maybe not being the best surface, but uh, around the corner, we make a quick turn over to Wimbledon, and, and I think uh, there's going to be a great opportunity for you there uh, as well. 2011 being probably your best season, you made second round there. Do you get excited about? excited about playing on on the grass is is that a place you feel like can really work for you maybe yeah we'll see well I was actually thinking about it and I I don't think I've played on grass since uh 2011 or 2012 I'm not exactly sure that I haven't played many years Mm -hmm. on grass so it'd be exciting that sense to sort of see how my game translates and plays on the surface but there's also like 
uncertainty in, in knowing how I will actually uh, play. So I'm trying to go in more with the, the feeling of excitement and hoping it'll go well. But uh, yeah, we'll see what I get into as well. I know I'm kind of in a precarious position with my ranking. We were just talking about rankings, but uh, I have to be aware of it for the cuts for, for qualifying and slams. And I'm in a kind of tricky position where I'm not sure if I'll get into Wimbledon, but I'll still try to play the grass court warm-ups anyways. And right. we'll, we'll see if I get there. And um, I just want to talk about big picture goals as well. You obviously talk mm -hmm. about like the week over week, not worrying too much about the ranking, but it matters as well. Um, you know, you're back on tour playing good tennis. Mm -hmm. Does it something you see yourself doing, you know, another three, four, five, six years? Is, is that something you, that you've thought about, I think, for your, for your future career in the sport? Yeah, well, I mean, I do have to have some sort of an idea of what a plan B can be in the future. So I do, I do have, you know, university I can go back on to um, because I was at UBC and studying there and many different career options after tennis. But for now, yeah, I feel like I have a good couple of years in uni left at least. Um, so I'm hoping as long as I can stay healthy and still enjoy the sport, I'll, I'll take it as long as I can. And we're seeing a lot more women and men players generally um, having longer careers right now, and even having breakthroughs at a later age. So that gives me a lot of hope that maybe I can continue this, and, you know, <laughs> as long as I can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Definitely. We're seeing a lot of players play some of their best tennis, um, you know, into their thirties and, and past that point um, with some of our guests, we love to uh, finish with rapid fire questions. If you are up for that. Um, yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, just just to start, uh, do you consider yourself a morning or night person? I'm a night person for sure. I, yeah. I think many people could attest to that if they see me in the morning. Need <laughs> my coffee first. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, what does your typical breakfast look like? Mm, usually two hard-boiled eggs and two pieces of toast and some peanut butter on top. That would be my ideal breakfast. Nice. Okay. For <laughs> and coffee of course yeah uh dessert wise would you say cake or pie oh uh, that's a tricky one i'd probably go with pie okay yeah depends on the pie and depends on the cake but overall i'd say pie. Yeah. okay nice <laughs> um we were refre reflecting on on your career obviously do you have a, a best win of your career you ever think back of um like a specific win where you felt like this is this is sort of the pinnacle Ooh, um i guess it would probably be when i beat marion bartoli in quebec city um that was my first really big win i did it on canadian soil and it gave me a lot of confidence um moving forward knowing that I could sort of hold a solid place on tour and that I wasn't uh, just sort of a, a one-off um, and then my ranking continued to, to climb after that point actually so I'd say that was a big moment in terms of not just having a yeah, top 10 win but also just like sort of gave me a platform to build my career off of. Um, which is your what is your favorite tournament to play? Ooh, this is tricky. I would say that there's a 100,000 tournament in Vancouver. Oh, wow. I, I got, yeah, I got to give a shout out to my, <laughs> my hometown tournament. Love but, that. Um, 
that's from a, a totally biased place. But if I were to choose a tour event, um, it would be a tie between um, Australian Open and then obviously um, the big national open now, the, whether it's in Toronto or Montreal. So having the opportunity to play at home is always just amazing and incredible. And um, we always have a great Canadian fan turnout. So that's definitely near and dear to my heart. Yeah, and we're certainly hopeful uh, it, it can happen this summer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which current or former player would you say maybe inspires you the most? Um, I think the most inspirational player would probably be, this is really challenging. (laughs) (laughs) The first one to come to mind, because I mean, I'm not being rapid in our rapid fire. Sorry. But the first one to come to mind would be Petra Kvitova, just because everything she's gone through in her whole career. And, you know, she was an amazing player and then had the, horrible knife uh, attack in her apartment and then still managed to come back and is doing amazing on tour like she never like nothing ever happened and uh, she's also just a genuinely um, kind person and um, has good sportsmanship so I'd say she's inspirational on many fronts. That's a great choice. Um, obviously, you're back on on the touring grind of, of travel life. Uh, when you're traveling, uh, window or aisle seat? I always go aisle. I'm, I'm really? tall, so I like to I like to have the access out into the aisle so I can get up whenever I want. Yeah, stretch the legs out and that sort of thing. Nice. Yeah, aisle all the way. Okay. Um, city or a country uh, you'd most like to visit you haven't been to yet. I would love to visit Brazil. I've never been to Brazil, somewhere I've always liked to go. I haven't really explored South America at all, and I feel like that would be a really good place to start. Nice. Um, Okay, more on a personal level of hobbies. Last uh, TV show that you watched? Currently, I haven't finished it, but I'm currently watching The Serpent on Netflix. Okay. Um, So I highly recommend it. (laughs) <laughs> sounds good um last song you listened to uh gosh it would probably be i think it's called don't stop the rain by duran duran nice okay yeah All i think right. that was the last one on my my playlist I listened to. <laughs> okay i like that and uh last one if there's any any famous person uh you would like to meet I don't know. I'm not really one to, to idolize. They don't, they don't need to be famous, actually. It could be anyone. They don't need to be famous. <laughs> oh, someone I'd love to meet. Um, oh, I'm going to go quintessential Canadian, and I'd still, I'd love to meet Wayne Gretzky. I think okay. that'd be really cool. I know he has connections to tennis as well, and I feel like He'd just be a very interesting person to talk to as a, I mean, he's the great one, but uh, also just from a athletic standpoint um, and just, I know he's had a lot of different life experiences. It would be really fascinating to, to listen to. 
I like that choice. All right. Uh, Rebecca, thanks so much uh, for coming on the podcast. As always, we always uh, appreciate your time. And I think I can speak for Canadian tennis fans uh, when I say we'll, we're always rooting for you when we watch you. And uh, we look forward to, to seeing what you can do at Roland Garros and for, for the rest of the season as well. Thanks. Fingers crossed. Everything goes well. There you have it, my interview with Canadian tennis player Rebecca Marino. And yeah, I asked if, if she felt more comfortable kind of making a comeback for a second time around. But she also admitted to the fact that uh, the clay court season is a grind and just kind of different circumstances in 2021 navigating a comeback still within COVID-19 where you have to schedule your blocks a little differently. Maybe you're away for a longer period of time. So um, she acknowledged just kind of getting used to that, but uh, she seems happy to be back out there competing and was obviously pleased to play so well at the front end of the year as well. Yeah. Unfortunate to see her go down in qualies uh, at the French. Uh, I mean, despite the fact that Canadians aren't, necessarily known for clay court prowess uh that's the best grand slam result of her career was a third round singles result uh in paris 10 years ago back in 2011 so um not to say that she couldn't have caused some trouble in there and one of those players that i would imagine top players probably aren't thrilled if they see her name in the draw because they know they're getting a fighter they know they're getting a big serve um and they're aware i would imagine at this point of what she's been able to do since returning to the court as well yeah, yeah, no doubt. And uh, still just 30 years old um, in this return and, and come back to the tour again. And I, the, the main question I did want to get to with her was how much longer she felt like she had in the game. And uh, she was happy that, you know, if she decides to to leave at any time she has to educate back on from from UBC but it, it feels like I got the sense that she at least wanted to stick around and, and see this through for you know two three years maybe more um, but she's kind of taking the open-ended approach um, her and Carol Zhao kind of two similar players in that same state of building their rankings back right now they want to get back in, inside the top 200 of course we've seen Rebecca Marino inside the top 50 before um, her first in on the career and she has the game and uh, I was looking at some WTA stats and numbers which I brought up with her actually um, serve percentage of points one that she was actually top five in the WTA in this category based on her WTA matches for 2021 so that wow. shows you how impressive she is kind of with that serve forehand combination that when that's clicking especially on faster surfaces um, very, very tough to beat. Well, with grass coming up, that could certainly bode well for her as she's you know, hopefully going to be playing in some tune-up events and, and qualifying for Wimbledon. But if we look at our Canadian women outside of Bianca and Leila Annie Fernandez and we go beyond the top 100, I mean, certainly Jeannie has, has made a lot of strides over the last year and she's getting close, although hasn't played much recently. I'd say Rebecca Marino is, is a good bet for me to get close, if not break into the top 100, if she can get enough events under her belt. Yeah, I think it's feasible. And of course, uh, you look back at the Billie Jean King Cup and the win she delivered there. Obviously, Layla, in a way, anchored the team. But what really swung that tie against Serbia was Rebecca Marino's huge win over Nina Stojanovic, who's a player inside the top 100. And about 150 spots, maybe even more, separated those two in the rankings. So she's certainly shown she has the level. We saw it at the front end of the Australian Open. And, and I think, uh, as you said, grass I, is going to be a great opportunity for her. Fingers crossed that we get to watch her at the National Bank Open. Might be difficult to navigate. I, I know she really wants the tournament to happen in Canada, Montreal, and Toronto. But uh, we're going to have to wait and see on those matter, 
matters. Um, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And we'll get to Bianca Andrescu. Of course, it's been a busy week for our podcast because Mike, you had a chance to, of course, have press, press credentials to the Strasbourg International event. You spoke with Bianca Andrescu. That's a podcast we've shared. And uh, she surprised all of us because she was kind of cruising along this tournament with a couple of wins and then uh, suddenly pulls out citing an abdominal issue. Yeah, it seems like it's always good news, bad news with Bianca, unfortunately. And uh, even in the, uh, you know, not just the tournament was she cruising along, but she was cruising along in her post-match press conference. And then about three or four questions in, she kind of just stopped on her own accord and said, before I go any further, I've got an announcement to make. And I don't know how the other reporters felt in that press conference, but my heart just kind of stopped like, oh no, what what is coming now? Mm-hmm. And of course, it it was unfortunate news that she was pulling out immediately after that second round win. Um, You know, two straight match wins in a row, which she hadn't done since fall of 2019 at the China Open. Uh, So it had been a long time for, you know, the the three set queen that we have, um, you know, to to win a couple of of relatively easy matches. And so that was shocking, too, because you thought everything was clicking. She was really, you know, coming along, finding her groove on clay against, you know, admittedly a couple of lower ranked opponents, but still probably the perfect environment to to get back into the swing of things on the surface. And then to drop that bomb that, you know, on a serve at some point in the second set, she felt something in her abdominal region. Uh, She called it a slight tear, although, you know, I think we've learned from other tennis players that self-diagnosing, not always necessarily definitive, but she felt something there and had to pull out. More so as a precaution, she said. She didn't seem overly concerned in the press conference, uh, but she didn't want to push it and said, hey, I've learned my lesson in the past. Uh, I don't want to go too hard and potentially miss out on Roland Garros coming up in less than a week's time. Well, this is obviously an athlete who I I think is understanding her body and Bianca has been so much, uh, been through so much in terms of injuries to various different parts of her body. We've talked about the knee and a foot issue. Um, The back has been a problem in the past as well. I haven't heard of an abdominal issue with her before, but I, I think given that she did win both of those matches in straight sets, she looked loose and comfortable from what you can tell if you watch the highlights that maybe this is purely precautionary and and not something serious at all. And she feels, I got two matches in, French Open is right around the corner. Maybe it's a mistake if you kind of make a run to the final in Strasbourg or playing on the weekend and then actually have to make a quicker turnaround for Grand Slam tennis. You know, we've seen scenarios in the past of, players actually overplaying ahead of a grand slam and like overplaying the week before, like making a final winning a title on the Saturday and suddenly having, having to lace up for, for a grand slam match on a Monday. Um, Maybe this is actually a better scenario for Bianca. And I was thinking in terms of her body, grand slam tennis, preserving matters might be actually easier for her because you get the day off between matches. Whereas this tournament, it's a quick turnaround. You get to grand slam tennis, best two of three sets as well. And you get the day off in between. She's going to have a couple days to rest up, take it easy. If she wants, she can practice for the full weekend and hopefully be ready for Monday or Tuesday, depending on her schedule. Yeah. Well, well said. Uh, and, and I agree with all that. If there was something that she felt, even if it was minute, even if it wasn't yeah. huge, just to put that plant, plant that seed of doubt in her mind. Hey, wait a minute. What's that? That doesn't feel right. Okay. I'm going to maybe play it safe. Whereas if it was a master's 1000 level tournament or a, uh, a slam, maybe she'd push through it and attempt to keep going, you know, with a little bit more time in between matches. But uh, 
the optics of it, if it was, uh, you know what, I've got my two matches in and that's it. I'm pulling the plug now. I'm resting up for Roland Garros. I'm not saying that's the case, but a lot of people on Twitter thought that was the case. And I was quite shocked. I got to be honest, totally shocked um, when I did break the news from the press conference that she was pulling out at the negative reactions that people were throwing at her on Twitter, on social media, questioning her, her motives, her, her logic, her reasons, uh, questioning her heart and her desire. I just, I was shocked and I was kind of appalled. Uh, I, I took no time to reply to any of them because first of all, there were far too many. And second of all, you can't win those arguments anyways on Twitter with people like that. But to me, you know, Bianca has been through such bad luck that I, I would think that if she's healthy and feeling fit, she would want to keep going and she would want to keep getting matches under her belt and, and do as, as well as she possibly could. She's uh, never struck me as, as someone to quit without reason. Uh, you know, you had a great tweet coming to her defense, uh, basically, and, and saying, hey, people hiding behind the keyboards. Easy for you to type away there. But if you know Bianca, you know she's always given 110% when she's capable. So I, I'm definitely in line with your take on it um, and, and was surprised at, uh, at the reaction that came out of her withdrawal. Yeah, I was a little disappointed as well. And I, I think sometimes when we look at Bianca's career maybe in a vacuum and you think of all the injuries long long layoff and suddenly we forget like other athletes are getting these types of injuries all the time I mean we've we've had a handful at the front end of the year players pulling out with kind of nagging little things um, ahead of the Australian Open you know Simona Halep is unable to play the French Open of course that's a much more serious calf tear other players um, who've who've dealt with things Garbina Muguruza has missed portion of the clay season with with kind of nagging issues Kiki Burton. So Bianca is not the only one injured. It actually struck me actually when, when she was asked about injury issues at the Miami open, she kind of not, not that she snapped at the reporter asking the question. I understand he had to ask it, but she kind of highlighted like, I'm not the only one who's injured guys. You know, there's a lot of players who deal with these things all of the time. And I, I do think it is probably small, something small that she felt precautionary measure why kind of grind through a WTA smaller tournament while I'm feeling something rather than make sure my body is as perfect as possible ahead of Grand Slam tennis and uh, yeah very unfair to to critique her here I'm glad she's back playing tennis And, and in terms of expectations I don't know if we can I don't know if we're writing her in as like a contender to win this thing, but if there's one player who can arrive to a big tournament without significant match play whatsoever and deliver the goods, it's, it's Bianca Andreescu. We have the history of that over the past, you know, couple seasons, specifically 2019 and then Miami this year as well. Yeah. Well, it could go either way or anything in between with Bianca, right? Like it could be a first round withdrawal because the abdominal injury is not sufficiently healed or it could be a deep run and, and neither one would surprise me you know, one more than the other. It's kind of like when I think of, uh, for example, Milos Raonic on, uh, on grass, for example, you know, with his body and whatnot, you never know if he's going to be able to go, but if he is on certain surfaces, look out. So hopefully she's able to heal up and, and, and have a good go. You know, we lost a bunch of Canadians in qualifying. Uh, I think you'll touch on that shortly, which was unfortunate. Uh, so on the women's side, we're going to have Bianca and Layla Annie and on the men's side, um, well, let's talk about the men's side maybe for a moment and transition there. Uh, we've, we've got Felix. Who else have we got in there other than Felix right now? Because uh, Dennis is out. Vashik, I believe, is out. And I haven't heard anything about Milos. 
Yeah, Milos essentially missed the entire clay court swing, it seems like. So uh, we're very, very light on the Canadians on the men's side, it seems. We did have a few in qualifying. Of course, we remember last year, Steven Diaz did qualify for the French Open, which was a terrific story. He won one match this time and then went out in the second round. Uh, Brayden Schnur, Peter Polanski, we've never really set high expectations for those two on clay. Um, They both went out in the first round. And then, look, the one athlete I had a lot of hopes for going into the French Open, given his form, given the fact that he held match points against Rafael Nadal and then made a finals in Geneva was Denis Shapovalov. But suddenly out of nowhere, he sadly announced via his social media, he's been forced to pull out of the French Open with what he called kind of a recurring nagging shoulder injury that is is just not right. And I look back to that Geneva event in Switzerland. He had a great week. He, of course, lost to Casper Ruud in the final. But one thing that kind of raised my eyebrow was the Thursday of the event, he had to play and win two matches, uh, beating first Marco Cecchinato in three sets, who's a good clay core player, and then another good clay core player in Lajlo Gera. So he played five sets of tennis, I think, you know, almost five hours that day. And you wonder if that kind of did uh, some lasting damage where his shoulder is just not feeling right. Yeah, it couldn't have helped. And it's really unfortunate for Dennis because I think even admittedly, he'd say he had a weak start to the clay court season. Things were not really clicking. And then that match against Nadal, which, um, you know, to me, despite the fact that he held those two match points and wasn't able to uh, convert them, you know, so much respect for what he did in that match and and the fight uh, against the greatest clay court player of all time uh, in Nadal. He came so, so close. And then to follow that up, with a run to the finals and, and build upon, you know, his loss to Nadal again, very impressive. So I thought Dennis was coming in with a lot of momentum and he's never made it past the second round at Roland Garris, which he's done twice before uh, 2018 and 2020. But I feel like this year would have been a year that, you know, I'm not saying he was going to have a deep, deep run, but I think he was poised to have probably his career best run uh, in Paris if he was healthy and playing the event. So Unfortunate to see him go out. Uh, you mentioned the match against Cecchinato. Cecchinato made, what, the semis of Roland Garros yep. back in uh, in 18. So, you know, those were encouraging results. And, and for a player like Dennis, who can run hot and cold, it certainly looked like he was running hot at the right time. Uh, and, and he'll be missed and, and hopefully, you know, back put back together again for the, the grass court season. Um, again, Dennis really is capable on all surfaces, and he's proven in the past that uh, that he can do it on clay as well. So. You know, no, no pressure, Felix, but you might have to carry it all on the men's side for Canada this year. Yeah, that's the hope. And uh, look, we we know it's been a difficult clay court season and maybe just season overall for Felix Ogielia's team 2021. You know, we're still not into June, so there's a lot of time to uh, turn this around. But Felix was just four and five on the clay this year, and we, we've seen great success from him on the clay court surface in the past. Maybe there's an opportunity if he gets, you know, a comfy draw, you win a couple of matches, you gain some momentum. He can turn this around because uh, he will be uh, the hope on the men's side. I'll, I'll just point out on the women's side, Carol Zhao, of course, we had her on the podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, she's made a couple ITF finals this season already and she's reached the final round of qualifying as well with an impressive straight sets win over Victoria Kuzmova so it would be fantastic if she could come back and qualify for Roland Garros I think that would be an exceptional story 
And that would be, again, you know, we'd have to give you props for having that interview with her recently and blessing her with good luck and good <laughs> yeah. fortune. Um, although it didn't work out with Rebecca Marino this time, unfortunately. So you're no, unfortunately you're, you're one for not. One, but, but we do have a track record of talking with players who then go on a run. So that's uh, any players out there listening who want to have a successful, you know, Roland Garros grass court swing, just, you know, call us up and we'd love to have you on to give you some of that good luck. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Zhao is looking actually to qualify for her first ever Grand Slam main draw. So uh, if she could do that at 25, I mean, we'll be watching closely. Uh, before we wrap up the show, the previous week, of course, we we did another uh, contest giveaway for a Roger Federer clubhouse shoe. And thank you so much to uh, everyone for all your entries across Twitter and Instagram. Had a lot, lot of entries again. And uh, Mike, I know ahead of the episode, uh, you did a draw and uh, selected out our winners. So if you're ready, we can announce our winner of the Federer clubhouse shoe from On Running. Yeah, so this time around, and thanks for all the entries, um, we will be in touch with the winner to pick uh, the, the style and the colors that she wants. And uh, it's Allison, uh, Allison P7 on, uh, I believe that was Twitter. Um, you are the winner of the Federer Clubhouse shoe. Congratulations. Thank you to On Running for hooking us up again with a wonderful pair to give away to our listeners. Um, the, the fellow who won the first week, um, oh, what was his name? Puello. Yep. Um, got his pair in uh, the mail and he was proudly showing them off on his Instagram account. Uh, and we thank him for tagging us and writing such a nice message on there. So um, yeah, fantastic. And we've got one last pair that we will give away in a future week. Um, we won't say when right now, but we do have one more of those fantastic pairs of shoes. So um, check back, keep listening. Thanks for tuning in. We're looking forward to Roland Garros. We will be back next week with our preview episode. Uh, so until then, uh, take care and talk to you.